0: Tonight we'll be in Acts chapter 19, so you can go ahead and uh, turn there with me. One thing I love about our Southern Baptist Convention of Churches is that we put money uh, in a big pool. And the the, the pool is called the cooperative program. And so from the largest churches to the smallest churches, uh, churches put money in that pool. We put a large amount of money in that pool. In fact... Uh, First Baptist is uh, one of the top 100 churches in Florida in cooperative program giving. And the reason I know that is because I got a letter this week from the Florida Baptist Convention president telling me that. And so I said, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll pass that on. And so uh, we put a a good amount of money into that pot called the cooperative program. Uh, When it goes into that pot, a portion of it goes to the state of Florida for Florida missions and and, uh, Florida church planting and other ministries and then the rest, and that's roughly, uh, I think, 49% of every dollar we send uh, goes to Florida missions, and then 51% go on to the national convention, and that money's divvied up really between our seminaries and our mission boards, and there are two mission boards, the international missions board and the North American mission board, so in December, we focus on uh, global missions, the International Mission Board. We uh, have a week of prayer for international missions. We take up money for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, You gave uh, over $120,000 this year to that offering, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, And it's very important to undergird the work of our mission board to get the gospel to the very ends of the earth. But we also have a mission board that focuses on North America. North American Mission Board. Short uh, is NAM. You'll hear it called NAM. And the North American Mission Board is uh, a focus for our convention and our church uh, around Easter time. And so all Southern Baptists are focused on this week of prayer for um, North American missions. We gave a brochure Sunday that's got some different things you can pray about. And also we take up a special offering to, to, to go alongside our cooperative program giving called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. Uh, Lottie Moon was a missionary in China. Annie Armstrong uh, was uh, a huge supporter of missions. And she was from the the Maryland area, Baltimore area, and uh, just a key figure in promoting missions. And so in honor of Annie Armstrong, this offering is named after her. And that money goes to the North American Mission Board directly to the front lines of ministry. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what North American Mission Board does. The North American Mission Board uh, focuses on first and foremost church planting. They have this network called the Send—not Sin, S-I-N—but Send, S-E-N-D. I feel like I got to articulate that because you don't want a Sin network. You want a Send network. Got it? Okay, Send network and. Uh, the SEND network under the umbrella of the North American Mission Board focuses on planting new churches all right uh, Plant churches all over you know Florida, uh, all over the mega, the mega cities in North America, the West, Canada. that is the focus of the North American Mission Board. They also have an, another ministry under the umbrella of NAM that is send relief send relief And this is the disaster relief arm of the convention. And it's really one of the best-kept secrets in Southern Baptist life. It's one of, the, one, one of the most impactful things we do. When there is a disaster, uh, we mobilize and send Southern Baptists in to feed and to provide shower units and to help people rebuild and clear debris. And it's really amazing what Southern Baptists do. And your giving um, to our church helps fund that. Your giving to Annie Armstrong uh, helps fund that. And uh, that's that's a major part of what they do. Another arm... Uh, not as large as the SEND relief and the SIND network, disaster relief, church planting. But another arm that uh, really uh, hits close to home for us is the chaplaincy arm. Uh, the North American Mission Board endorses chaplains to serve in different settings. There are business chaplains, there are hospital chaplains, of course there are military chaplains. Uh, we have a military chaplain right here in our church uh, Scott Kaiser, uh, he's endorsed by the North American Mission Board. Those were his. You have to have an endorsement from a religious body or organization. He's endorsed by North American Mission Board. So your giving helps support the efforts to put chaplains again on the front lines of, of ministry. And so it's really exciting to see uh, how uh, how the Lord is using Southern Baptist churches, combining their resources to do missions all over North America and to the very end of the earth. So that's what we mean when we say North American missions. We're talking about reaching people with the gospel through church planting, disaster relief, and chaplaincy. Everybody got that? Okay. So, so what I want you to understand is when you give, uh, when, we, when we send money on to the convention, uh, it, is a, it is an eternal investment. You are investing in gospel-centered ministry. And so I'm excited that we get to be a part of that. And the beautiful thing about the cooperative program is, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a big church or a small church, you can be a part. However much you can put in the pot, you can be a part of this global missions enterprise. So it's really, really cool uh, that, that cooperating churches can, can be a part of this major, major effort. So what I want to do now is I want to look in Acts chapter 19. I want to look at missions... In action, I kind of want to do a case study about Paul's time in the city of Ephesus. We've been studying Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. I want to look at his ministry there, and when we look at his ministry there, we're going to learn that that learning how ministry is to be done really helps to inform our prayers. So you know, how do you pray for a missionary? How do you pray for a church planter? How do you pray for somebody that moves into a new area to share the gospel and start a church and make disciples or moves into an unreached people group somewhere in the world? How do you, how do you pray for somebody like that? We're going to look at Paul's ministry and learn some ways that we can pray. And then we're going to pray at the end for some of the needs uh, related to North American missions. So look there in Acts chapter 19. Just kind of quick context, Acts records three major missionary journeys of Paul. And this is the third missionary journey. All right, And it says there in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. So this is the beginning of Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. This is Asia Minor modern-day Turkey, and Ephesus was a major city in the first century. Uh, In in that time, it had about 300,000 inhabitants. It was a large city, and it was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. Asia was a part of the Roman Empire, and this certain province had as its capital the city of Ephesus. It was the most important commercial center partly because there was a large harbor, And because of that large harbor, Ephesus grew wealthy uh, on trade. Also, another major feature in Ephesus, which we'll see a little bit later in the narrative, is the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis. Uh, This was a major temple dedicated to a Greek uh, goddess. It attracted visitors who wanted to see the building from all over the world. In fact, the Temple of Artemis was one of the seven... Ancient wonders of the world. It covered an area, listen to this, it covered an area four times as large as that of the Parthenon in Athens. It was supported by 127 pillars, each of them 60 feet high. I mean, this was a breathtaking structure. It stood about a mile and a half northeast of the city in which Paul was doing uh, ministry. And so we're going to learn that Paul spent two years. In this very strategic location, because when you kind of set up uh, your ministry base of operations in Ephesus, it was a place for the gospel to go out in all different directions. I like what F.F. Bruce says about Paul's time in Ephesus. He says, Paul's coming to Ephesus marks another decisive moment in missionary history. Ephesus was to be a new center for the Gentile mission. The next in importance after Antioch on the Orontes. And these 12 disciples that he meets here in Acts 19 were probably to be the nucleus of the Ephesian uh, church. So again, we're going to look at how Paul does ministry here, which I think is a wise way to do ministry, a wise way to be a missionary. And this passage about the the gospel advancing can and should inform our prayers. Okay, This this message or passage about gospel advance can and should inform Inform our prayers. Let me give you just tonight, quickly, five aspects of gospel advance. How does the gospel go forth? How how does God mobilize His people to reach people with the gospel? I got five P's for your for you fans of alliteration. All right, five P's that help us understand five aspects of gospel advance. The first P is the word presence. Presence, in other words. To reach people with the gospel, you got to be there. Somebody that knows Christ and can articulate the gospel has got to be there. Presence, that's what is important. It says there in verse 1 that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. In verse 10, it says uh, he set up shop there, and this continued for two years. And so Paul. Uh, was present in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. Now, if we want to reach the nations, we've got to send people that know Jesus and will share the gospel to the nations. Because there are unreached people groups, unengaged unreached people groups all over the planet that have never even heard the name of Jesus. So for that to change, we need someone to be there. And for someone to be there, that entails two things that we get to be involved in and we ought to be involved in as a local church. First of all, it involves calling, right? We need to identify people that the Holy Spirit is calling to send to an area in need of the gospel, calling to go to, you know, uh, southern Uganda or calling to go to North Dakota. or or calling to go to San Francisco, or calling to go to Montreal, or Toronto, or Las Vegas, or some place that is in need of more gospel witness. And so I believe that part of our job as a church is not just to put some money in the pot and say, go, 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 reach the world, we're going to cheer you on. Our job is to be active in challenging each other to listen to the Spirit of God to see if He wants us to go. Now, let me tell you what I believe, and I believe this is biblical. I believe Matthew 28 indicates that every Christian is to be a Great Commission Christian. We're all called... To obey the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, how do we know the Great Commission is for us? Because he gave it to his 12 disciples, or 11 disciples, uh, before he ascended back to the Father after his death and burial and resurrection. So it seems like that was just kind of a disciple-focused command. Well, remember what he said. When you see someone saved and baptized, then you teach them all of my commandments. Which would include that command, to make disciples. And so everyone that is a follower of Christ lives under the the command, the umbrella, if you will, of the Great Commission. We are all called to make disciples. So that's, that's beyond question in my mind. Every Christian is called to be a Great Commission Christian. But under that umbrella of Great Commission ministry... The Spirit of God shows us our specific role in fulfilling the great command. There's the chaplain right there. I was talking about Scott. Wave, Scott. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, Scott uh, about to deploy, but Scott is uh, a chaplain uh, with the Air Force. And he's, I was telling them earlier, you're endorsed by the North American Mission Board. We're talking about the different arms of North American Mission Board ministry. So that was timely. Uh, thanks for coming in when you did. And that's his wife, Marsha, beside him. So, um, Where was I? Oh, so we're all under the umbrella of the Great Commission, but the Spirit of God gives us our individual assignment uh, under that umbrella. So, for example, Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch, verse 1, they're gathered together, they're worshiping Jesus, they're ministering before him, and the Spirit of God says, set apart for me uh, Paul and Barnabas to the ministry I've called them to, And the church then sends them out on what we know as the first missionary journey. So some folks stayed in Antioch, the church there, to support the missionary efforts of Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas left. They they went on that missionary journey. Different roles, all were were involved in the Great Commission, but there are different roles in that. So so part of my job as a pastor and our job as a congregation is to to challenge each other to say... How is the Spirit of God speaking to you? How is the Spirit of God moving you? What, what, what area of the Great Commission, what niche in the Great Commission are you, are you serving in? How are you being a part of seeing the Great Commission go to the ends of the earth? Now, just for example, um, Claire and I have put our yes on the table. If God wants to send us to the other side of the earth, we told the Lord we would go. And we've thought through that before and looked at different options and, 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 and prayerfully considered this. God wants us to go overseas somewhere. And, and we've thought through that and prayed through that. But we've come to this conclusion at this time in our life. We feel like God has called uh, us to serve local churches to mobilize others to go. To, to, to mobilize churches to be Great Commission churches. That we felt, I felt that's my calling uh, at this time in my life. And I believe the Spirit of God has shown me that. And so we all have a spirit-directed role in fulfilling the Great Commission. But sometimes we don't slow down enough and get alone with Jesus and say to the Lord, my yes is on the table, how do you want to use me? Spirit of the living God, how are you directing me? The Spirit will show you your assignment under the umbrella of The Great Commission. And we need more missionaries. We need more church planters. We need more pastors. Did you know uh, in in a few years we're about to hit a shortage of pastors in Baptist life. Not enough pastors to go around. We we need more people following God's call on their life. And so we must pray that God would raise up and send out from our church. And we need to challenge each other to, to consider the calling of God on our lives and so calling is a part of it. We need to identify those God has called to leave our church and go somewhere else for the sake of the gospel. That makes sense. Calling. And I'm listen, I'm praying God will do it here. I'm praying God will tap some families on the shoulder, some married couples, some teenagers, even some some little ones and say, "I've got a call in your life to go somewhere for the gospel." To leave Comfort to leave familiar and go somewhere for the sake of the gospel. I'm praying God will do that in an ever-increasing way in the life of our church. So calling. The second part of presence is support. Those that are called by God and are and, and are sent out and they go, they need support. It's not, it's not Cheap financially to you know get overseas and have a place to live and have a vehicle and have insurance for your family and 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 and, and our missionaries in the you know overseas and North America they need support they need uh, churches helping them to to have the resources they need to live first of all just to be there that's presence and then resources to do ministry with to to be able to to get the resources they need mobilized To uh, fulfill their strategy. And so calling and support. How many of you ever heard of William Carey? William Carey. William Carey is called the father of the modern missionary movement. Father of the modern missionary movement. Uh, He was a pastor. A Baptist pastor in England. And no one was doing missions. They would teach and preach the Bible. But no one was talking about missions. And... Uh, William Carey began to read books of different adventurers that were travelers, like like you know uh, Captain Cook and some other adventurers. And he began to read about these adventures, their exploits, you know, going to Pacific islands and 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 encountering different uh, tribal peoples. He was in, in, interested in that. And as he was reading these adventure books, he also was reading. This is going to take longer than I thought, but let me just keep going. He, he was also reading um, the Bible. And he was reading about the nations, you know, reaching the nations, people groups, ethne, uh, make disciples of all the nations. And so he went to a Baptist meeting of pastors. And he was young at the time. He said, uh, should we consider maybe going to tell people that don't know Jesus about Jesus? Should we think about that as Baptist churches? Another pastor said, sit down, young man. He said, if God wanted to save the heathen, he could do it without our help. That's what he said. Which flies in the face of God calling us to go and share the gospel, to be a part of his missionary heart and sharing the good news with a lost and dying world. And so, long story short, William Carey eventually went. He went to India and uh, had a successful ministry there, made an impact. His impact is still being felt in in, in India and other surrounding nations even today. And his going, his example launched others going, following his example. That's why it's called the father of the modern missionary movement. So raise your hand again. Who's heard of William Carey, other than me just saying all that? Okay, how many of you have ever heard of Andrew Fuller? Not as well known, another Baptist pastor in England. And here's what Andrew Fuller said. He said, hey William, I'm with you. I believe that we need to We need to go to the nations and tell people about Jesus. And I believe God's call is on your life. And here's what I want you to know. He said, if you'll go down into the pit, I will hold the rope. And Andrew Fuller said, I'm going to work on this side of things to provide the support and resources you need to go to India and preach the gospel. So under the umbrella of the Great Commission, we need William Carey's and we need Andrew Fuller's, right? Presence. If we're going to reach lost people with the good news and tell lost people that Jesus saves, we're to have people there, right? It involves calling and support. That's why we give and that's why we pray and that's why we sent because we want people present among the lost. There's a lot more to say on that, but let me go to the second one very quickly. Not only is there presence, there's proclamation there in verses 8 and 9. It says he entered the synagogue and went to the Jews first. He had a a, a common um, background with them. He was raised as a Jew, as a, as a Pharisee. And he had the, the, the biblical uh, vocabulary to speak to them and connect with them. So he goes to the Jews in the synagogue for three months, speaking boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So he goes to the Jews and says, hey, let me tell you, who the king is, who the Messiah is. His name is Jesus. And he began to tell them about Christ. Um, but it says, But when some became stubborn, continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that's Christianity, before the congregation, he finally withdrew. Their hearts were hard. He withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. That is a, a, a public place where people would come to share their views or ideas. Kind of a philosophical place. And he would go to the hall of Tyrannus, and he would share the gospel with Gentiles. So so what's he doing? He's opening his mouth. He's telling people about Jesus. He's sharing the gospel. And this is important in, in ministry because Romans 1.16 says, Paul writing, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh uh, went on a trip, led a team to, again, southern Uganda, working with a, a pastor down there, Pastor George, a dear friend of mine. He's still there, and he, he was, uh, he was uh, with three of his buddies, drunk at a bar uh, decades ago, and this, this uh, van pulled up, and some Baptist missionary got out and walked in and shared the gospel with him and then left, and Pastor George got saved. And Pastor George got his Bible, got a Bible, and he began to read the Bible, and he began just to tell people about Jesus. Then he began to start, start churches and raise up other pastors in these churches. And so he wanted folks to come over uh, from other churches, other pastors to come and train all these pastors that he was seeing raised up to plant all to, to plant all these new churches among the Fumbira people group, right at the very southern part of Uganda, where Uganda meets Congo and Rwanda. Uh, it's where Gorillas in the Mist was filmed, where the Virunga Mountains are and the gorillas are. And it's a beautiful area. Uh, but we went in there to train pastors, and we went to Pastor George's Church, and on, on the back wall, in a big banner, the, you know, behind the pulpit, was Romans 116. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. And it wasn't just a slogan for them. They, they saw God changing lives dramatically as they preached the gospel. So we want people to be among the lost, among areas that need the gospel. They want them to proclaim the gospel. But third, after presence and proclamation, there's planting. As people get saved, you begin to, to disciple them, to teach them how to walk with Jesus. And they begin to gather in churches. Look what it says there in verse 9. It says... It says he took the disciples with him, the 12 disciples he met earlier in the book of Ephesus. They didn't have full information about the Holy Spirit yet. And so Paul talks to them, and and I believe they experienced kind of a Gentile Pentecost. It kind of mirrored the the Jerusalem Pentecost. It was kind of a launching of the church there in in, in the Gentile world in a a very major way because it was going to touch uh, many, many nations and peoples. Uh, But he gets these 12 together as kind of a core group. And they're the ones that are helping him, assisting him. And they're doing gospel ministry, sharing good news. And the Lord begins to add to their number. And they begin to uh, start uh, gatherings of churches. We know that a church was planted here because a little bit later, Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus called... Ephesians we've been studying it for how long however how long a long time and so we know a church was started there so Paul got the 12 together shared the gospel more people were added to the church there was a church in Ephesus they started a brand new church and here's what I want you to understand if we are going to reach the world with the gospel we must start new churches overseas and in North America, and in Florida, and in the Panhandle, we've got to start new churches. Now, you might be sitting here, and you're in this beautiful sanctuary, and you see the big steeple as you drive up, and you pass another church coming here, and a few, maybe a few more churches coming here, and you think, do we really need new, you more churches? I mean, there's churches on every... Why do we need more churches? Let I me mean, Let me tell you why we need more churches. Did you know that every day in North America, churches, even Orthodox churches... Close their doors and cease to exist. Do you know that? And if you don't think that churches close their doors and cease to exist, go to Ephesus and try to find the church there. Say, so have been reading about the church, and where's that church? They don't exist. That church ceased to exist in that form. There's Christians there now, and there's other ministry happening there now, but it's not this, this original church in Ephesus. Churches have life cycles, and churches close their doors, and they cease to exist. And so, listen, North America, if we don't plant new churches, we're going we're to lose ground. We're not even going to keep up with what we have, much less reach the population which is growing. Here's what's happening. Churches are dying, population growing. Look at the gap. And the way that you bridge that gap is by starting new churches. That's the way you do it. And if we don't do it, in Baptist life, in evangelical life, if we don't do it, we are going to lose our nation. We've got to have new churches. Besides that, every church that calls itself a church is not a church. In other words, there are people with church signs and steeples, but they're not preaching the gospel. They've walked away from the proclamation of Jesus as the only way to salvation. They've walked away from the authority of Scripture. They're just kind of going through the religious motions, doing what they want to do. And they're not a a New Testament church. They're not. So just because there's a a physical building on a corner doesn't mean we don't need new churches because there are many churches that are not preaching the gospel. And then, after you get past those two areas, there there are places... In North America, with very little gospel witness, so we're in the Bible Belt in the South, right? There, there are a good number of churches here. We need more. We need new vibrant churches, new works. I'll talk some more about that in a moment. But, uh, but there are areas with you, you go into a town, a, a small town, and. In uh, South Dakota, I've got a friend, he's, he's, he's a, a pastor in Belfouche, South Dakota. I talked to him yesterday. I was on a Zoom call with him and some guys he's training in the area of preaching. And uh, he located this this city uh, about two hours away from Belfouche. They've got a good, strong church in Belfouche. But there's a city, and there were some people meeting in a Bible study, and and they wanted a church that preached the gospel. There wasn't one in their city. It's a little town, and so this church is adopted that area, and they're sending people up. He goes there and preaches every so often, and trying to organize these folks into a church. I mean, it's it's a, it's just a small place in the middle of nowhere. No gospel witness. We've gotta we've gotta give and pray and go and. Call out the called so that they can go and start churches and be witnesses in places like that. And mega cities. The cities in North America are growing, growing, growing. And the people in cities are hard to reach because they live in multi-housing units. And it's very hard to get to them. And it's very expensive to live there. And and, and because of the secularism, they're hard to engage. And there's all this kind of cultural chaos and conflict. And and the cities are hard, but the cities need gospel witnesses. we got to send people to the cities. Because they're growing. They're exploding. But the churches aren't. We must start new churches. And so they planted a church here and other churches in Asia Minor and beyond. And if we're going to do gospel ministry, we need to be about church planting. And we are, we're working on that. Uh, We, of course, we give to the corporate program, we give to Annie Armstrong, we give to uh, Lottie Moon. And and a, a major portion of that giving is focused on mobilizing people to plant new churches. This is the strategy. Church planting is the strategy for your missionaries overseas. It's the strategy for your missionaries in North America. They are trained to go and start new churches that start new churches that start new churches. It's all about multiplication. So we give to fund that effort. We pray for church planters. We'll see some of that tonight. But also, we want to be on the, the, on the front lines of directly planting churches Um, as a church. Which is nothing new to First Baptist. Uh, There are churches in this area that years ago you began as Mission Works. And now they are their own self-supporting church. And praise the Lord for that. And we want to continue to do that. And so we've got money in the budget. We're working on some foundational stuff to begin an internship here. And the goal is to bring on Uh, young pastors, young men that are called to plant churches and they'll come on staff with us and we'll train them and we'll spend time with them. We'll walk them through an assessment process. We'll walk them through training with NAM and others. We'll do some training for them. We'll teach them local church ministry and then we'll send them out some resources to go and start a church somewhere, wherever God calls them uh, to go. And you'll be directly involved in seeing new churches started from our church in partnership with the North American Mission Board and in partnership with our local association in partnership with Florida Baptist churches but we are going to be directly responsible for training young men to go start new works that's coming so more details in the future but that's coming that's what we are moving toward that's what we are working on because we don't want to just say plant more churches go 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 we want to be part of it we want to be a part of of, of seeing that come to fruition so third is planting so presence proclamation planting number four is permeation permeation so when you're in an area and you're preaching the gospel and you're starting churches and you're making disciples look what happens in verse 10 this is an extraordinary verse if you're just reading this in your time alone with god you're reading through acts you might just kind of skip past this verse but think about the import of what's being said here this continued preaching the gospel with the 12 original disciples in ephesus this continued for two years now listen what was the impact of Paul and the ministry there? So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks? Wow! With, with Ephesus as the epicenter, the gospel went out in concentric circles, and it was so powerful and it was permeating the culture to such a degree that everyone heard about Christ. Everyone knew something of the way, this movement of Christ's followers, this gospel. I mean, this is an extraordinary verse. Two years, two years. and God used him in a mighty, mighty way. I mean, what if, what if the Lord challenged us? Hey, in two years, I want everybody in the panhandle to have heard the gospel and we would say boy that's daunting. And think of all the resources we have. We have financial resources, we got buildings, we got social media, we got internet, we got Bibles, we got training materials, we got trained pastors, we got and what do they have? Nothing. <laughs> Except the gospel. Nothing. Just Paul and some dudes that he met. And they had the gospel and began to share it and in 2 years by the power of the Holy Spirit, everyone in that province of Asia heard the gospel. Wow. That is a powerful, powerful verse. So permeation. that's what we, want. we want the gospel to permeate our culture. I've said this to you before, but our goal here is we do ministry, preach the gospel, reach out to our communities, start new churches, you know all of this, missions, all of this is that this area, the emerald, what we call the Emerald Coast area, that God would move in such a way in this church and other churches, other gospel preaching churches, That the Emerald Coast area would be the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. That's the goal. Because there's just so much Jesus out there. Amen? So much Jesus. So, what does gospel advanced ministry look like? Presence, proclamation, planting, permeation. But fifth, and this is the reality, persecution. Persecution. It always happens. All throughout the book of Acts, when God begins to move, people get, get, begin to get saved. The kingdom of darkness shows up to oppose it. And persecution follows on its heels. Uh, just real quickly, I don't have time to do the rest of the chapter, but just three thoughts about persecution. First of all, and these are in your notes, gospel progress is a threat to ungodly commerce. That's one of the reasons that persecution comes. Um, look what it says there uh, in verse 23. So, um, the gospel is, is uh, going forth. People are getting saved. And it says, About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Again, a phrase for Christians, the church. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, Greek goddess, false god, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the the workmen in similar trades and said, "Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth." In other words, they were making money, making trinkets to give to the people that would come to worship Artemis. okay? Silversmith, making trinkets, false gods. And he says, "You see in here verse 26, That not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Can you believe that? This little silver thing we just made, he's saying this isn't a real God. Imagine that. And there is danger. Watch this. Verse 27. Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may be even deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged, were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Then a big riot happens. A big crowd gathers and they're in a rage. A mob forms. It's a scary scene, but notice what got their attention. The silversmith getting the other craftsmen together and saying, You know what? If people keep getting saved and following Jesus, they're going to start ignoring Artemis, and they're not going to buy our little trinkets anymore and our little false gods that we make, and we're going to go out of business. Now look at me. You know that happens, right? When the gospel begins to permeate an area, did you know that ungodly businesses lose business? Things change I've read about some of the great awakenings of the past and you know, a, a great awakening, a revival would hit a small town and, and the bars would close up and, and and the the houses of ill repute would shut down because they weren't frequented by anybody anymore. They had gotten saved, their life had changed, and these businesses were closing their doors. That's what's happening here. And because they are losing commerce it's a threat to their ungodly commerce, they, fly into a rage to oppose the church. Warren Wiersbe writes, Whenever the gospel is preached in power, it will be opposed by people who make money from superstition and sin. And so when the gospel begins to permeate, when you begin to make your area a very hard area to go to hell from, and Jesus is everywhere. People are talking about Jesus, and, and lives are being changed, and, and families are being transformed. When that begins to happen, I'm telling you, ungodly businesses will rise up and want to stop that movement. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a movement so powerful that the, uh, the county jail would say, Man, we. We got a lot of room. We're not full anymore. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, that lives are being changed to that degree that the county jail's not full. And by the way, it's full right now. Been there. It's full. Also, gospel progress is a threat to world religions, verse 27. Uh, He speaks of the threat to the worship of the great goddess Artemis, a false goddess. And by the way, notice she can't fight for herself. They're fighting for her. Why can't she fight for herself? Because she's not a real god. She's a false god. And this this gospel progress threatens the religion of the people. And when people's eyes are opened by the Spirit of God, they see the hopelessness of idolatry and works-based religion. They get saved. They turn away from that stuff. When that happens purveyors of those religions will rise up to stop Christianity or try to stop Christianity. That's where persecution comes from. Much of the persecution in our world comes from leaders of world religions that don't want to see their, their um, adherents walk away from their religion and follow Jesus happens all over the world. It happens in Buddhist countries. It happens in Hindu countries. It happens in Islamic countries. It happens all over the world. It happens in uh, predominantly Mormon towns out west. You go there with the gospel, persecution happens. I've, I've been in those towns. I've talked to pastors that live there. Persecution comes. So gospel progress is a threat to world religions and false religions. So persecution rises up. Gospel progress will not go unopposed. Uh, we see the story of the seven sons of Siva, and uh, the, 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 they're trying to cast a demon out of a demon-possessed man, and he overthrows them, the power of Satan there. Uh, we see Satan at work. Gospel progress will not go unopposed by the enemy. We've talking about spiritual warfare for the last few weeks. And so persecution is a reality. Now listen. Listen. That means... That when God taps some folks on the shoulder in our church, says, I want you to go out west and plant a church. Or I want you to go to Southeast Asia and plant a church. Or I want you to go to Central, Eastern, Southern Africa and plant a church. Or I want you to go to South America and plant a church. I want you to go be a missionary. I want you to plant your life. When that happens, the reality is it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Did you know the unreached peoples of the world are unreached for a reason? Most of them live in areas where it's illegal for missionaries to even be there. So It's hard to get to them. And persecution comes. And that's when we've got to realize that the gospel cannot be stopped. And we've got to realize that Jesus is worth it. Even the suffering, even the hardship, Jesus is worth it we got to keep sending even to hard areas and going to hard areas with the gospel because the gospel will overcome all opposition. In fact, it's really funny to watch people try to stop the gospel. It's like it's like you and me trying to stamp out a forest fire. You you stomp you try to stop the fire and it just rages. Every time you stomp the fire gets bigger. Read the book of Acts. Every time they try to stop it, it just spreads like wildfire. You can't stop the movement of God. You just got to have people go and... Tell folks about Christ. Amen? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.